On today's episode of Locked on Suns, the Phoenix Suns finally had a strong fourth quarter. And in the process, they just might have gotten their swagger back. Let's break it down. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for making Locked On Suns your first listen post game after a Suns 136 to 120 road W over Kevin Durant's former team, Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson's new team out in. Brooklyn, if it is your first time finding the show or you just have not done so already, go ahead and hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding us. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. So just hit that button. Get a new show in your feed every single Monday through Friday, all season long. Become an everydayer and get locked on to the Phoenix Suns with me all year. Today's show brought to you by Prize Picks. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Don't forget to also follow me and the show on Twitter where you can give me your seven word or less game take after each and every game. I'm going to go with at Josh Ritter 13 today. Nurk is a difference maker, and I think that is where we have to start. So shout out to you, Josh. My seven words or less game taken this one would be probably nice and easy. I know it might not have felt like that every single step of the way. Another awesome third quarter, but you win the game by 16. You have the type of third quarter that you want to have. Everybody chips in. You execute what you want to take advantage of and you win the game by double digits on the road over a team that you are much, much better than. That is really all it takes in the NBA regular season. But as I said, let's start with Nurkic because this was one of his strongest games of the season. And there's there's something very special, I think, about a player who has the ability to take one shot I said this to Locked on Suns Insider subscribers, which you can sign up for at the link in the show description below and get my commentary and analysis all day long on game days, updates as far as who's playing and who's not and what to watch for, stuff going on in the news, on Twitter, everywhere else, straight to your phone. You can respond to me, all that good stuff. Sign up at the link in the show description or visit jointsubtext.com slash Locked on Suns. But I said this to those folks in the post-game recap text that I sent out that Nurkic is the type of player who is totally content to play, to to shoot five times in one game and then be the focal point the next game, shoot 20 times, and he's going to play equally hard in both situations. He's going to execute, have mental focus. Yes, there are going to be some turnovers, no matter what his role is in a given night. And that is, I know it sounds corny, it might sound like a given because these are all pro athletes and this and that it's not a given and it's something that should be recognized and in this stretch of the game our moment of the game 
in the middle of the third quarter, it absolutely was, was important. So Spencer Dinwiddie makes a two-point shot midway through the second quarter, all right? That made the score 84 to 80. From that point on, the Suns would go on a 15 to 1 run that would give them an 18-point lead that of course they basically would not relinquish all night. It obviously got I think to single digits early in the f- into the fourth quarter, but never really got close after this and a big part of what ignited that run was Nurkic. Nurkic had a pass out of a short roll situation to Josh Okogi for a three-pointer to kick off this run. He then blocked Lonnie Walker at the basket. I believe that was the one that led... No, it wasn't the one that led to the fast break. It went on to an offensive rebound. So I might not be remembering that block perfectly. And then Nurkic had a post-hook shot off of what I believe was one of those deep seals that he was getting all game long because the Nets were just giving up mismatches left and right. Even Nick Claxton really is a mismatch in his own way in terms of strength and weight and all that. And then from there, KD just took over. He had uh, seven of the 15 points in this run, and Nurkic actually had a little dunk in here as well. So I guess that would mean that Nurkic had four points and one assist, and Durant had seven points. So between the two of them, they either scored or assisted on every single bucket. It's interesting, though, to call that the moment of the game, right? It's the lead that they took that they didn't give up. It is the two guys who obviously, if you look at the box score now, if you watched the game, those are the two best players, but... The last thing I would highlight here is, one, that they were getting up and down the floor and they were sharing the ball. Those are two things that helped them win this game. But it was actually Booker who, again, was really having control of the offense early in this game. I believe he took nine shots in the first quarter and only eight the rest of the way. And you'll notice in this run, he was on the court but the only involvement he had from a scoring standpoint is he had an assist on one of Durant's buckets. So I think there's something impressive to be said from a balance standpoint and sort of a... I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now since we've seen the big three on the court. They're overpowering no matter what. They scored 136 points tonight, and I don't think any of us would have said this was the best they've looked right? That's crazy. But to really get to the next level, I think as an offense, they can't just be overpowering. They need to be smart and diligent, right? And what that means is attacking the weak points, playing to the weaknesses of your opponent. And I think that's the other thing that you would have to love about this stretch is that they did that, right? They kept riding Nurkic after what he did in the second quarter. They rode the hot hand with Durant. They played up-tempo. They moved the ball. They found mismatches and switches and different things to exploit, and they they went to it repeatedly. 
even if it meant Booker taking a step back, which sometimes is just going to be necessary. So runs like that are what great offenses do on a nightly basis, and the Suns showed up in that way again for another 35-plus point third quarter, which is becoming fairly normal for them. We'll get to some takeaways from this game, big picture, including Durant's return and more. Close out the show with a special tribute. First, today's show brought to you by Prize Picks, who have fixed and made a whole new ball game out of daily fantasy sports. If you're like me, you used to suck at it, maybe, or be a little scared of daily fantasy, maybe, but prize picks has eliminated all of that. It's the most fun I've had, winning up to 25 times my money all sports season long. And with basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from prize pick specials league, meaning you can maybe on the day of the big game coming up, go for, let's see. Kansas City does not have a basketball team. Baseball season is not here yet. So you're going to have to keep riding the Bay Area, and maybe you go with the one I've been plugging for a while now. Steph Curry threes made Brock Purdy touchdown passes. Pretty good. Quick draws, easy gameplay, and aroma selection of players and stat types on top of all that fun stuff from previously are all what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Here's what you're going to do. To take advantage of our offer, you're going to go to prizepicks.com slash NBA. And when you make your first deposit, you're going to use the code locked on NBA to get that deposit matched up to $100. That's prizepicks.com promo code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, as I try to get focused here from my camera, we are back. Let's keep it rolling. Takeaways from this game. I didn't want to start with the fourth quarter this time because, frankly, it wasn't really what decided the game, even if it felt tight early. But what I do want to say is something, I guess what I want to echo, is something that Frank Vogel said, I believe, after... Monday night's game. Did they play Monday? Am I losing my mind here? Monday night's game against the Miami Heat. Where he sort of, it seems like, accidentally said that the fourth quarter problems were mental. But if you are an everydayer, if you checked out Monday's recap show of that Heat game, or if you subscribe to the Locked On Suns Insider Text Alerts, where you've seen me talking about this, you can sign up at the link in the show description below or go to jointsubtext.com slash Suns. You know that I was not worried about that fourth quarter either, right? And so I didn't go so far as to say it was mental on Monday because I actually just thought the process was right. I thought the process was accurate. I just thought they missed some shots. The Heat made some contested threes, and it got a little dicey. But I guess an easy thing to chalk up unusual missed shots to is mental blocks and it feels like that's just where they are right now and so I think this one can be a little bit of a of a sigh of relief here now we've said that before right they've had good fourth quarters lately especially since the big three has been playing together it's not as if every single night they crumble but 
I just think it's about, like Chris Paul used to say, stacking wins. I think in this case, it's about stacking good fourth quarters and just making it not so that you feel positively about the fourth quarter. You can't train yourself to just only think positive thoughts about something. It's more so you don't think about it at all. I think that should be the goal, right? And games like this where it's like, yeah, you got... Uh, I meant to bring up in the, the 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 moment of the game the Kevin Durant too small. And I talked in the open of the whole show about the swagger. In that stretch, in the moment of the game in that second quarter run, or the third quarter run that I just broke down, you had Durant holding up the little tiny finger... Uh, sign for cam thomas in the fourth quarter the very end of when the starters played around two three minutes mark you had booker making a fall away contested corner three over the arms of mikhail bridges and booker holding up the what am i doing with my hand uh the the three-point selly that mikhail bridges used to do right so there was a lot of swagger, and I think those types of moments are going to be the ones that add up to not even sweating these fourth quarters anymore. The other thing I wanted to talk about from a, a big picture, why this game matters type of standpoint, is the emotional connections between these teams, right? I did a segment, uh, I think I did one final Bridges breakout watch, the longtime everydayers know after the Nets came to Phoenix, right? And there were the tribute videos and the big three debuted and that game was way more intense than it, any NBA regular season game ought to be uh, for a lot of those reasons. And this was similar, although I would say the relationship between Durant and the Brooklyn fan base is probably a little bit different to say the least than the beloved way that Bridges and Johnson are always going to be received in Phoenix. That being said, Durant did get a tribute video, even though he maybe didn't want one. After the game with Cassidy Hubberth on ESPN, he was gracious, you know, and said that he obviously watched it and, you know, that he looks back fondly. But the other nugget that made this game weird and continues to just feel cosmic about this matchup between these two teams is that this game marked the 17th game played where all of Booker, Beal, and Durant shared the court. That number, 17, is more games than Durant, Harden, and Kyrie played together because of their injuries. Unbelievable. Well, their injuries and, of course, you know, the vaccine stuff and then the trade demands and everything else. That doesn't feel possible, but it is. That is the number, and... I guess, you know, as crazy as, as this season may have felt for Suns fans from an injury and continuity standpoint, it could be worse, you know? It could be uh, it could be even fewer games played. Imagine if this few games that you are banging your head against, you know, the wall, feeling like you're never watching the three stars on your favorite team play. Imagine if that was over the course of a season and a half plus a whole postseason. All right, just to put it into perspective. But that's neither here nor there. That's Brooklyn Nets history, and that's not what we're here to talk about. All I wanted to say about this whole idea is I think this will be the final game between these teams where this stuff kind of is relevant. And you could kind of, 
I almost feel like it was a symbolic thing when Booker hits that three in the corner at the end and waves his hand in, in Bridges' face because Bridges was not loving that, you know? He didn't smile and laugh and, and dap Book up on the way back. He was pretty mad, of course. They're losing, and they let a, a fourth-quarter run slip away from them just as much as the Suns obviously got it back on track. But look, I mean, time passes. It's been almost a year since the trade, and at a certain point, as much as you cherish those memories and you might have a bond to some degree that you can look back on when you're both retired, you're competitors now. And, and obviously the same goes for Durant versus any of the guys that he played with. Cam Thomas with the little finger thing, Royce O'Neal, whatever. You know, these guys are they're just opponents now. And so I do think you're sort of turning the page there. The last part is something that I obviously, I'm not, once you hear me say it, you're going to understand that I'm not going to get to the bottom of this in three minutes here. But Durant made a comment when he on Twitter said that he didn't want the tribute video, which is that he said he didn't feel like he made a deep enough connection with the Brooklyn fan base to deserve it or or for it to make sense. It's a very Kevin Durant thing to say, very sort of uh, ethereal and heady and just maybe five degrees askew from what you might, how you might think about something. He is obviously a very uh, unique guy and thinks about things in his own way, but it just had me thinking, will... Will fans feel like he achieved enough here when it's all said and done? That's obviously, for so many reasons, impossible to answer right now. Maybe a better question is, what would it take for fans to feel that? And what would it take for him to feel that? You know, he did play out the first contract he signed with the Nets. Of course, he signed an extension that he played half of one season of, but he had an era there. One of the years he was recovering from a torn Achilles and really two of the years, the pandemic made it hard to connect with those fans. So that played a part, but is there some number of years here that, that would graduate him into having that that bond with the community with the fan base is there is it a championship does it have to be a championship otherwise goodbye i don't know of course it's it's all hypothetical it's all in the future but because he thinks about things that way and because his career is analyzed through that lens and because this was such a massive inflection point in son's history it is a fascinating question to consider and one that I think we'll obviously all be coming back to over and over. This is the guy's first full season here and it has been chaotic in its own way. So let's hope it's not chaotic the rest of the way and we can see how much this team can accomplish, you know, already one game more than the big three there played. And that's a good start. All right. A tribute to somebody Important to the Suns, important to this community coming up next.
First, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network and America's number one sportsbook. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. We typically just go to my parents' house because my mom cooks good snacks. They have some friends over that we've always had for the Super Bowl. Just that traditional type of thing. But they recently introduced the Super Bowl squares. I've told you all week. We'll be telling you into next week that I'm not sure how I feel because that's a fun transit tradition to have. We're throwing gift cards around. We're being competitive. It's cute. It's fun. But the kids keep winning because they're just getting lucky. It's very random, very annoying. So I'm going to be sitting back, kicking my legs up, and getting some W's on FanDuel so that I'm not interrupted by children and can just channel my energy straight to the real stuff. In addition to who might win Super Bowl 58, FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers who join today get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All righty. So, again, shared some thoughts on this on subtext, but on the Locked on Suns Insider feed. But, um, and shout out to Brandon Duenas, who compiled a lot of tributes already over at brightsideofthesun.com, which you can check out. He, of course, is the co-host here once a week. But Dave King, who was the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun until about four months ago, three, four months ago, um, passed away this weekend. If you're listening to this show, if you even found this show, if you even have ever consumed this show, I, I would imagine you probably have an idea of who this is. Or you maybe learned about him over the course of this week as tributes like I mentioned, have poured in. I thought the Suns did a very admirable thing by addressing and and paying homage to Dave on their social feeds by way of a statement from Matt Ishbia. Sounds like nothing, maybe, but I think a lot of teams, a lot of corporations, let's say, just overlook stuff like that. And I thought Matt shared some some nice words, and I know he knows who Dave was because Matt was a big fan of... Brightside Night, as was his brother Justin Ishbia, who is a you know minority owner in the team. They one of their first things they did when they bought the team was donate a bunch to Brightside Night to bring more kids into the game on that night last season. And that's always been one of the biggest things Dave took pride in and took joy in, and it'll continue without him, it sounds like. I thought that Devin Booker um, you know, again, uh, players like to pretend like actively all the time <laughs> that they don't know who media are, right? That, uh, you know, they're beneath them, we are beneath them, or it's all, um, it's all fighting and, and conflict between media and players. But Book shared a screenshot of, of Dave on his Instagram and said, you know, rest easy and all that stuff. And look, Dave covered Book since he came into the NBA, um, and I think, you know, maybe that's the way to put it, right? That it, players can kind of pretend like it's conflict, but with David, it wasn't ever that, right? Like, I don't think you can put into words. You might have heard this or seen this if you've been paying attention online to or on the radio or on countless other podcasts or articles as these tributes have poured in. You might have seen the idea of like, 
the the Suns community wouldn't be what it was without Dave. And we say that stuff, right? Like you just say that sometimes to be nice. They were so good at what they did or they they were such a fixture in their industry or their community or their friend group or whatever. Oh, we none of us would have been the same. And and that's always true to a degree, but with Dave it was it's it's literally true. It's literally true. Anybody you follow who cares about the Suns right now probably passed through Dave's orbit in some way, shape, or form over the past 15 years that he was basically running Brightside and being a funnel into Suns content, all right? PHNX, shout out to those guys. That started from a podcast that Dave began with Espo and Saul from PHNX. Kellen Olson, who does fantastic work at Arizona Sports, started at Bright Side of the Sun and then got and created, launched this podcast and then got his gig at Arizona Sports after that. I started covering games at Locked On Sun, at, at, at Bright Side of the Sun when I was a 19 year old and, and knew nothing. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, you know, Gerald Bourget does great work. He didn't write at Brightside, but was close with Dave. One of the Gerald's one of the longest standing people covering the Suns and got to know Dave very closely, I know for sure. Trevor Booth, who's at Clutch Points, does a bunch of stuff on Twitter spaces and everything. He started at Brightside of the Sun. Um, you know, Team PR, as I said, Book, the owner of the team. Everybody is feeling this loss. And the community online of people covering, talking about... I saw so many people on Twitter this week who just said, I would never have joined Twitter. I never would have started finding Suns fans and, and Suns content and Suns chatter on the internet if it was not for Dave. And I think even thinking of it that way is sort of crazy, right? That Dave took over Brightside when like the internet was getting big as far as content and social media and all that goes. It's, it's unthinkable. Um, how big the impact is. And, and obviously that's the, the greatest kind of thing you can leave is a legacy like that to know that. Uh, and I don't even know if he cares, but we all know, you all know that anything you're consuming about this team, any conversations you're having online about this team, odds are, you know, in some way, shape or form, they were touched by him. And that's, that's a lot, you know, not a lot of people can say that they impacted anything that way. Um, so, you know, I, I don't mean to ramble. I hope I'm at least forming some points and having a start and an end to what I'm saying here. But the last thing I guess I wanted to say on this was from my personal perspective, uh, I tweeted a version of this, but I wanted to share it a little bit longer on the show. Um, just that, you know, I said, like, I, I know for a fact that I would not be hosting this show, but this is part-time, you know, at the end of the day, but, you know, the Just Basketball show that I host and even my job at Awful Announcing, where I write about sports media, like, Bright Side of the Sun was the first place I ever wrote anything, and now I do that for a living, um, writing about sports, and I guess just to share, I, you know, to share why. Um, so, I started reading Brightside when I was 14, um, 
was a Suns fan and, and cared about the team before that as a kid, but, you know, what, what are you really going to do when you're 12 years old? So 14, shout out to uh, Jennifer DeLorme, if she's listening, introduced me to the site, and I started reading and interacting and commenting and floating crazy trades that I get mad at you guys for doing now, probably. And finally decided, okay, SB Nation has this cool thing. It's very fan-focused. Let me write a fan post, which I think they still have. So I wrote a fan post about Miles Plumley, if you remember, um, the season that they won. No. Yeah, the 48-win season, right? That would have been 2013-14. How old was I then? Yeah, I guess that's probably a little bit after that. So I was on it for a few years. Finally wrote this post about Miles Plumley, and Dave put it on the front page. Without, I don't even think I messaged him, but he would do that, right? So then I messaged him once I saw it because I was losing my mind, crazy. I think I was in high school still. Um, so might have even, maybe this timeline's not perfect, but this is how I'm remembering it. And I was like, thank you so much, whatever. And he gave me some feedback, and that's what I wanted. Then I wrote another piece, very, very, very sports take, right? Like I was like, whatever. It was about Tyson Chandler not... Um, I might have written stuff in between this, but this is the one I remember. I, I said, you know, Tyson Chandler made some offhanded comment, and I was like, this is why he's not the right vet for the team, and he should just leave and all this. Like, very over my skis, trying to be a uh, big, you know, man on campus type of thing. And I was like, hey, Dave, you know, wrote this thing. Let me know what you think. Can you please put it on the front page if you like it or whatever? And he was like, yeah, this is not very good. You're being, you're being way over you're way overdoing it and you're being kind of disrespectful to a player and all this i was like okay you don't know what you're talking about like i'm mad because i just was prideful probably you know um and then eventually like i don't remember what i wrote another few things just got over myself a little bit and started just writing actual analysis of this stuff and you know finally he started putting more and more stuff and then he was like hey you know come join the staff it'll be unpaid but you can be more part of what we're doing. And so I would do roundtables. I would do little articles here and there. This was back when Kellen was actually still there um, and just got my toes wet. Then fast forward. So that was one, right? Then fast forward, let's say a year or two beyond that, I'm doing the stuff here and there, filling in. I, you know, like that was book 70 point game season and all that stuff. Then the season that Earl Watson gets fired uh, that summer I had been covering Mercury games somewhere else. And then, so I'm around the arena, I'm getting to know the PR people, whatever. And then Dave helps me get my first credential. Um, I believe the fall of 2017, if memory serves me correctly, might've been the 2018 calendar year, but that season and, you know, Jay Triano, the Bledsoe trade, awful team, all that stuff. And, not only does he get me the credential because I'm a bright side staffer and he has the in, um, I, I'm, I'm a child. Like literally people would, you don't know how many people would look. I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, you know that I probably, maybe you think I still look like a child, but people were like, didn't believe I should be there. Like so many looks from security and other people, other media just being like, who on earth is this person and why does he think he can be here? He needs to like, is he the GM's son? Like what's going on? And Dave just showed me everything, introduced me to everybody that I needed to know, showed me where to be, how to be, how to be professional, how to, I mean, I don't even remember it anymore. It was just so natural. It was just so much a part of, 
of all of it. Um, running out of time, but he helped me, you know, through so many different things with when I left this show for a moment, when I had a co-host and then getting back to it solo and trying to help me navigate what to do with that situation, watched the Valley Oop next to him, game two of the Western Conference Finals. I was sandwiched between him and Trevor Booth. And, uh, you know, it just feels crazy that when I go to games or log on to Twitter or open Brightside that he's just not going to be there. Um, it just doesn't feel like that's it doesn't feel like that should be possible, you know, and obviously lost him, you know, he, he tragically early, tragically young to to go through something like that and, and sudden and, and very short lived that he even had to, to manage it. But um, I wouldn't even have the platform to give him this salute if it were not for him. So I think that uh, sort of speaks for itself. So, uh, yeah, echoing Devin Booker, rest easy. Dave King, thank you for everything. And uh, if you guys, you know, if I'm filling you in on a person or some stories that you didn't know, I mean, reach out to me if you if you want to talk. But check out the articles, check out Twitter, check out the other podcasts and stuff that have been giving tributes. PHNX, you know, multiple times. Espo's done some some thoughtful stuff. So uh, just you know, soak it in because uh, it's it's definitely a, a person's legacy worth understanding. So hopefully I did my part. I will be back for one more show this week. Hit follow, hit subscribe if you have not already. I will catch you guys then. In the meantime, enjoy the win. Talk to you tomorrow.